Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Do you have any idea what you've done to me? I've done worse. The great impasse has spoken! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man. I'm a very good man. Good man. They think deep thoughts, and with no more brains than you have. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, Meryl Streep doesn't think we should use the term toxic masculinity. And David Lynch is going to receive an Oscar for Lifetime Achievement. How are these two facts related? They're both things that are on your your mind right now. I have no idea how those two things are related. Is David Lynch been accused of being toxic in any way? Is a is a, not really. No, I mean he had it's too weird. I don't. I think if David Lynch were toxic, we wouldn't even know because <laughs> he's so inscrutable. <laughs> you know, women certainly. There's a lot of naked women and abused women, but at the same time, there's a lot of strong women in his yeah. movies. So that's not the way they're related. I don't <laughs> that's think. Not true. I have zero idea. Maybe did your mom tweet about both of them? Your stepmom tweet about both of them? No, she doesn't tweet about David Lynch. <laughs> well this is then a question that's clearly you just want to talk about <laughs> i have no idea yeah i mean i don't know either i'm asking you <laughs> oh yeah it was just, you just wanted me to make something up um <laughs> yeah exactly uh, I, I forgot to yes and you um well you tried <laughs> i did try yeah the the it would be great if if meryl streep was going to be in a new david lynch movie on masculinity how about that that'd be I'd watch that. that would, I'd watch that more. I don't think of her. I can't see her in a David Lynch movie. That's actually interesting that you would say that. That because that that seems crazy that she would be in a David Lynch. So that's a good question. Why? I get what you're saying, and I feel the same way. And I'll tell you, my initial gut reaction is that she is too much of an actress. She has to portray an actual yeah. character in a way that David Lynch has uh, i don't want to say caricatured people but they're they're people who aren't primarily there because of their the depth of their character but rather because they seem to represent some some theme oh see i disagree with that i mean i think they are complex characters but they're not acting as real people in in a way they're Mm -hmm. they're expressing something complex about human beings in a way that isn't naturalistic and i think she's a very naturalistic actor i mean like in the same way i can't see robert de niro on in a david lynch movie um but i could definitely see someone like brad pitt or something someone who can play 
stylized. Yeah, it is heavily stylized. But I was going to say that that's what I mean by not a real character. I mean that they're not representing sort of a person in the way that we... Although, I have to say, and I haven't watched the latest season of... of I just blanked on the name. Twin Peaks? Twin Peaks. Um, I haven't watched the latest season. It's going to be a good episode. It's because I'm out of Adderall. Um, I haven't watched the latest season of Twin Peaks, but if... If you, if I were to name all of the strengths, not one of them would be that the characters are deep as as people. Yeah, I, I yeah, the, I would say Fire Walk with Me. You get a deep portrayal of Laura Palmer, of Laura, of, yeah. of uh, and Cheryl Lee is so unbelievably good in that. But yes, I agree that that's that's they're they're soap opera characters. I mean, it is a yeah, it is right. a riff on a soap opera. Right. It's what right. if like some, the most horrible thing possible happened in a soap opera and <laughs> Yeah. The, One way of saying it is that Meryl Streep I can't picture her playing absurdity. And David Lynch teeters on absurdity in the good way, in the Kafkaesque absurdity way. And and, I, and I'm wondering if that's unfair to Meryl Streep. Is there really no example of her doing that? Uh, yeah, I should say it's not that I don't think that she could kill it. Yeah. It's that it doesn't seem to be a role, the kind of roles that she ever takes. Like, I, you know, I, I do wonder. I mean, uh, I mean, I can't think of anything like that, but I'm sure our listeners might have some examples. <laughs> she's done so many movies and she's so ta- unbelievably talented. But yeah, the ones I know her from and where she's so brilliant that I've seen, they're, they're real people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, a cry in the dark, you know, that movie about the, the dingo ate my baby. No. Okay. So this was the, the, a movie in the eighties about a seventh day Adventist woman in Australia, seventh day Adventist being the religion that I was raised in. So I yes. know this very well, whose dingo got, whose baby got eaten by a dingo when they were camping in the outback and Meryl Streep portrayed this woman. She was wrongfully accused. And they, they said that it was like some satanic ritual that she was engaged in because they thought that, that some Adventists were weird. And um, you guys are weird. Yeah, we are, but not in that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> we can't even drink, let alone kill babies. <laughs> like that would be really forbidden. Um, the, uh, that was the first movie that I was allowed to see in movie theaters because it was about an Adventist woman. Do you think the reason you can't drink is because once you take like a couple of drinks, you start killing babies? Well, it's always a temptation, right? (laughs) (laughs) Who among us? (laughs) (laughs) Not not had a few drinks and then (laughs) fantasized about killing babies. One more thought. One more thought about David Lynch movies. Yeah. Who would be the worst A-list movie star to cast in a David Lynch movie? I have a name. Who who do you think? Uh, uh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Tom Cruise. <laughs> that is the answer. Can you imagine? I don't. I I'm actually not sure. I I agree. Maybe because well, the Magnolia role I could is kind of a Lynchian sort of role. But then and then also uh, the Tropic Thunder. You know, yeah, in the Tropic Thunder where he's. But that's yeah. more Although like that's a joke. Crazy. Yeah. And in the Kubrick, the eyes wide shut, maybe. Although he still comes across as Tom Cruise. That's I think I have the I, I think I here <laughs> here's my answer. Tom Hanks. Mm. I can't see that. Cause Tom Hanks is just Tom Hanks. George Clooney is the same way, like it 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 just uh, uh, we should say what we're gonna talk about today. We today we are going to talk about 
uh, a great story by Ted Chang in his latest collection of stories, Exhalation, called The Truth of Fact and The Truth of Feeling. Yeah, and we're, we, we're excited about the story. We hope everybody will, will actually read it. I know that, <laughs> that that might be a challenge. We're going to put a link to the book and we're going to tweet it out because I don't want to say this while we're discussing it, just like highly recommended. Yeah. Read this book. I mean, I'm talking to you as if you're not listening to this episode right now, but yeah, you can just pause the episode. If we've earned your trust at all about what we think you might like, if you like this podcast, I would say get this book and you won't be disappointed. You sent me back to Meryl Streep for a second. So she said... I, it, there's not much of a story here, except that my stepmother, you, you texted me one night, uh, was on the front page of Reddit because she tweeted out that she agrees with Meryl Streep. But Meryl Streep did say we hurt our boys by calling something toxic masculinity um, and, and also that women can be pretty fucking toxic, she said. <laughs> right. Which, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's undoubtedly true. Like, that's. That's neither here nor there about yeah toxic masculinity. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I have some thoughts, but what was your initial reaction to this? I, I mean, I don't really have one. I, I think she's echoing a view that a lot of uh, women have, and maybe especially older women who think that, I mean, like the, the, this comes out like the French older actresses, and especially given what they went through, and this is part of life is that men are scumbags and, you know, women have their own kind of power. It sucks sometimes, but you don't want to demonize an entire... I, I really do think this is a very common view and it just there's just no upside in saying it unless you're Meryl Streep and you're completely untouchable. And so, yeah. you know. Y- yeah. So I... My, my my only real thoughts about it are that there is there has to be better strategy in coming up with labels. So I, I, I definitely think that there are aspects of masculinity in the West of a particular ilk, right? Like there's a certain kind of culture that is pretty nasty about women and this is taught and this is passed on. Picking a label for something like that is tricky because you want to condemn certain actions, but it ends up often alienating the very people who you're trying to convince. And I, I sort of feel this way about terms like like white privilege as well. It's not that I don't actually like in, in a very visceral way understand uh, that I have privilege. Um, it's just that it's epistemically unavailable to an average white person how they have privilege. And so in using the term white privilege sounds accusatory in a way that you can understand why somebody would get defensive about it where they'd be like, well, what have I done? Well, it's not, the point isn't what have you done? It's that, that, uh, you know, I'm trying to show you that my life is different than yours, but how, you know, they're not going to know. So, so while I get the desire to to make the moral point, if you're just talking about this as a way to frame a message, it's not a very good way to frame it. So white privilege is interesting because I actually think for me personally that 
resonates in a way that maybe toxic masculinity hasn't. I think it is epistemically accessible. Like it's epistemically accessible to me. And not only is it epistemically accessible, but I think, now I don't know, there's probably other ways to describe it besides white privilege. But yeah. there is a, 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 there's a way in which my experience, I understand my experience a little differently now that I've been alerted to that concept. Whereas I don't think toxic masculinity has done the same thing for me. I, I think that... You're right, though, that especially for people who grew up not privileged in any other way besides being a white person, like if you're working class, if you've struck on hard times, if you're, you know, the, the, the sort of stereotypical Trump voter, then it's extremely alienating to be lectured by people who in many ways have more privilege than you do in your in in, right. in in their you know, like especially since a lot of this comes from the Northeast and, and rich private liberal arts colleges and all of that. Like, yeah, that's alienating and just seems uh, well, completely unfair given the other ways in which privilege has been distributed against them. Right. So, so, and that's sort of what I mean. And and to be clear, like I, it's, it's very salient to me, the kind of privilege I have um, being, being sort of middle-aged white, you know, at least passing. Um, and, And that, but that's really because of my life experiences. Like I've seen my father who's short and darker and speaks with a heavy accent get treated so differently than I would ever get treated. So it's epistemically available to me. And, and I think that the point is just that like what I'm not the, I'm not the target audience for that, uh, that term in a way that like, you know, I'm already convinced. Right. And so it's like, if we were, you know, if we were seriously trying to say, do a marketing campaign, we're a corporation, we wanted to like spread an idea, we, you know, we would pick terms that were less sort of, you know, customer hostile. Um, and I, and I, you know, I tread lightly here because I, I think that, we ought to condemn what we condemn. It's just that like, if you're going to be pragmatic about this or, you know, in any way consequentialist about it, then there is, there are strategies to get people to see what you mean by white privilege without accusing them, especially as you say, like the, the people who ha- have already, you know, they have like nine out of 10 knocks on them just because they haven't experienced the 10 out of 10. Right. Um, it doesn't mean that they're right. So toxic masculinity maybe is different because it's not clear to me that all men have this culture and um, and but the ones who do, you want to stop it. And those are exactly the people who are going to be like, yeah, fuck you, bitches. Yeah. You know, like they're the, <laughs> it's like exactly the wrong the wrong way. It's only convincing. It's only a word yeah. that people who are already convinced about. know. it doesn't even give you pause to think the way white privilege might. Right. Where you're like, oh, do I have privilege? Right. No, like no totally. Like, yeah. I, that's what that's sort of the distinction I was trying to make. Like, I just don't mm-hmm. think that's mm-hmm. a helpful term. So I'm on uh, Meryl Streep's side. In yeah, the, except for that, I don't think that it's a. Who cares if there are toxic women? Like, I, I just don't think that that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way. no, yeah. I, I agree. 
the the idea that the term is unhelpful and that yeah. it's not going to help to to li- to label yeah. uh, the thing that is uh, like an organizing system of values um, as as toxic. Oh, oh, uh, two things. Speaking of toxic masculinity, the uh, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the Jedi Council podcast, which recently had Michael Sargent of tatter fame on friend of our our podcast yeah to talk about three things first those apa american psychological association guidelines on men that we talked about in an earlier episode and they they refer to our discussion in a couple of places second i'm very grateful to to michael for bringing up my book why honor matters which he read and and put a uh, said some really nice things about in the discussion, and then they discussed Pulp Fiction. Oh, which we need oh, to discuss. Damn it. God damn it! Fuck you, Sarge. <laughs> um, <laughs> so no, that's great. We'll put a link to that too. Yeah, um, yeah. And the second thing I wanted to say about toxic masculinity. Speaking of, I've been doing a rewatch of Deadwood in preparation oh. for the Deadwood movie. Yeah, uh, which I saw already. But yeah, yeah. You, I have, yeah. I have not because I'm trying to rewatch all of it now with my daughter. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was super impatient, but, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see that, but I, uh, I've, I've loved this rewatch. We've, we banged out the first season in a few days, and um, it. I, I have three things to say about it. Number one, I think my daughter has heard the word cocksucker maybe twenty times more than. If you combined all the other times she'd heard it up till now. White cocksucker! <laughs> yeah, and then Woo's, Woo's version of that. Uh, she also learned the meaning of the word cuntstruck, which I don't think she knew before. Uh, I've never heard. Well, obviously I have heard it, but it's <laughs> because I've watched Edward. But I don't, I don't think I would even think about what that means. Cuntstruck? Yeah. It's, it's like their version of pussy whipped. Oh, okay. Yeah, I figured that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the third thing is, I think it's the best. I think it's the best show. I really do. I think it's the best show of all time. I, I, I I've always sort of suspected it, but now you know, in the, the third re rewatch or whatever, I'm I'm pretty convinced. So I um, to me, it's it's between The Sopranos and Deadwood. And you would think, given our early conversations, that The Wire would be higher. I've said this before. I don't think that I think that The Wire suffers a little bit from uh, it's, it's not timeless in the same way that those other two are. That because racism is and and it's like, not it's capitalism post, are no longer a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and Baltimore doesn't exist as far as I know. Yeah, um, and Baltimore is <laughs> doing great. So yeah, it's yeah. so dated. Uh, though, so. <laughs> um, uh, that uh, that the the one thing is that Dead, you know Deadwood had three seasons and didn't get a fair chance to wrap it up. After this movie, had this movie come out uh, when Deadwood was wrapping up, I think it would have propelled me to think that this was the, the greatest. Um, yeah. So I might have to reassess, but you know, The Sopranos is just a more complete arc. And it's it's sort of like these discussions that people have about whether Biggie Smalls is the best rapper ever. And people often point out that he only had two albums. And 
how can you compare that with somebody like Jay-Z who has like 10, 11, 12 albums? Um, would Biggie have really done a good job, you know, releasing or would he have gotten sucked up in Puff Daddy's bullshit and made some whack albums in the early aughts? Who knows? And, De- you know, I wish Deadwood had had four or five seasons to wrap things up. But, but those three seasons, fuck, God. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so, and it, I mean, the thing that, I mean, I've heard the movie's good, and you seem to like it. Um, I don't want to talk about it, though, because, no, no. but... Uh, we might do a Patreon episode on it. That would be great. That's a great idea. The best thing about it, from my point of view already, is that it's got people talking about Deadwood, because it's this, like, yeah, kind of like exactly. the step-cousin or whatever, you know? Like, people don't... The red-headed don't, stepchild. Don't... What is... Yeah, the red-headed <laughs> stepchild. The... the the Fredo, the Eddie Namias. But the it's it's yeah, like people talk about all these other shows and they and until now they haven't talked about Deadwood and now you see critics being like, Oh yeah, this is yeah, like maybe yeah. the the yeah. Uh- I totally agree. And, and it struck me that, you know, this shouldn't, but, but that there are plenty of people online. I, like I was actually reading some Reddit thread because I've been spending too much time on Reddit lately. And that, you know, people were like, Oh, I've never heard of that show. I'll check it out. And I'm like, what? (laughs) But of course, you know, these are 14, 14 year olds or something, you know, I, of course they haven't, they've never had a chance to watch it. So I, I envy people who haven't, and I'm glad that it's being talked about again. I think it really did suffer because it never wrapped up properly. It's so distinctive and unique. Like my daughter hasn't really seen a lot of westerns. It's not a genre I've exposed her to, but she still just immediately was like, "Holy!" Because every performance is is so good, and and so we've also recently started watching The Sopranos. We did we watched the first two seasons within the last couple months, and. So, like, I, I feel like that's not recency bias right now for me with those two right. shows. And The Sopranos is amazing. So this is yeah. no knock on The Sopranos. But I don't think you care quite as much about so many characters in The Sopranos as you do uh, on Deadwood. Like, no. everybody and- is has their own kind of, like, you deeply love them even if you're appalled by some of the things that you do. There's just... Like I don't know, like it's so it's such beautiful writing and such beautiful, and the performances are, I think, better than any of the shows. I mean, I I'll say this: Ian McShane, um, in Deadwood, uh, Swearingen, Al Swearingen, uh, who we had a discussion a bit when Paul was on to talk about the greatest villains, yeah, and we we actually took took him off of the list because right. it was so obvious that he was so he was one of our. Um, just like this is obvious, um, is likable in a way that Tony Soprano's character can't be. I would, I, I put those two performances though as two of the greatest performances on TV. I think they're clearly the two best performances, yeah. and then it's a fairly, I, I like it's a fairly big drop off to the third. I don't know who that would be, but like. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're just like it's those two you can fight about it I don't even have a huge opinion I think they're both so remarkable but uh, and they're very different like you know uh, Swearingen's acting uh, Ian McShane's acting is so it, it's a beautiful interpretation of the amazing words that he was given right he is delivering this you know as many have pointed out these Shakespearean uh 
soliloquies in some cases uh, with in a way that if I, I if I read the script, I would be stilted. Like I wouldn't know what how the fuck to to make that work. You know, all of them. But they all do name? that. Like that's they all the thing. Do. It's incredible. One of the best like, scenes ever is uh, what's his face, um, the hotel manager. Uh, oh, E. B. Farnham. Mayor. Who's E. B. Farnham? <laughs> when he is cleaning up that blood. Yeah. Oh, it is and, incredible. And this is the guy who is you know on fucking Larry Bob Newhart show, right? <laughs> <laughs> my brother Daryl. By the way, he looks Daryl and Daryl, and he looks exactly the same. He totally does. <laughs> he's aged very well uh, in that show. And he's so good, and you know he's this grotesque character. I think someone even refers to him as a as a grotesque. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, but yet, you know, everybody has their beautiful moments of eloquence and sort of poignancy on that show. And that's what I think is kind of sets it apart. I mean, the wire had this too, a lot of lovable characters. I don't think all the performances were at the level of Deadwood, but they, but it had a similar kind of thing where you just loved a a wide range of characters. I mean, the Sopranos isn't like that. It's very focused on the family and And to be honest aj's performance is the worst part of that (laughs) right and then it has some bad performances they uh the we just watched the season two i like i the 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 boyfriend meadow's boyfriend that columbia uh, (laughs) that guy he is one of the most hateable people (laughs) on i've ever seen (laughs) every time i watch it and you feel a little guilty for hating him because he's this biracial kid who's like you know like and she's fighting her dad's yes, racism exactly. so you're i don't i'm like i don't understand are we supposed to like him because he is such a fucking cock like i hate <laughs> by the end you're kind of like you're totally on tony's side not for the racism <laughs> yeah. part of it but just that is a guy that needs to be hated <laughs> yeah. oh the pr- fucking pretend and i also think it's not like a good performance even of that like i know he's not supposed to be likable but I don't think yeah. it's a. It's a no, good. no. I believe that that actor is just on the. It's just <laughs> that guy. Right? Like, maybe he's an amazing performer. And maybe he's super likable. Uh, I wouldn't know, and I and I almost don't even want to know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. So if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen this uh, is Deadwood, yeah. I, I envy you. I envy you, and I also envy you if you haven't. And this applies to you yeah. too. If you haven't uh, read the entire Ted Chang collection of stories, because it's great. True. It's really, really good. Uh, but we will be right back to talk about one of the stories, uh, one of the best stories in it called The Truth of Fact and The Truth of Feeling.
Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the predictable time in the podcast where we like to do two things. Thank everybody um, for their support. Uh, we really, really appreciate every every little bit of support that you give us, and that includes um, just the communication that 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 we get, the messages, the tweets, the the emails, the Facebook posts, the Reddit posts. Um, it's really, really nice for us to see the community engaging with each other and just to see your ideas. Like there's, I actually look forward to, to just seeing what comes out of the twisted minds of our listeners. Um, <laughs> yeah, Reddit you know. has been good and not, yeah. not like because of us, really. It's like no, there's just a I lot know. of interesting nice stuff yeah. going on on our subreddit that just yeah. has really very little to do with anything we've done. Right. Yeah. yeah. People discussing it. It's a forum for their discussing the ideas that are kind of related to, to what we do. Mm-hmm. So if you do want to engage uh, with us or with other listeners, you can do so by contact us, verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can tweet to us at verybadwizards or at Tamler at peas. Um, you can be active in our Facebook uh, group. There's probably the facebook group and the reddit group i don't know how much overlap there is so so whatever floats your boat they're good discussions on both um you can follow us on instagram you can rate us on itunes give us a a review we'll hear about what you think about us by reading those Uh, we always get a kick out of those as well and that's another case where our listeners are pretty witty sometimes (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're pretty funny and very um yeah we we appreciate uh all of that if you would like to support us in more tangible ways you can go to our support page in fact i think there's always a link if if you use a podcast app there's always a link to our support page but you can go to verybadwizards.com and you'll see a link to that Uh, and there you will see a couple of ways in which you can support us one is by becoming a patreon supporter which we very very much appreciate um you can go directly there by going to patreon.com slash verybadwizards, and uh, you'll be able to get a few extra goodies if you do sign up as, as a sort of thank you. Um, in fact, that's what we were just discussing. Hopefully, we could do a Deadwood once once Tamler watches the Deadwood movie. Um, we can do something there, but there's, there's plenty of bonus material already that we've accumulated. So if you're a new Patreon supporter, um, make sure you check all that out. Um, and don't or do the can... thing where you become a Patreon member before you have to pay and then get all our bonus content. Because there are certain listeners that are worried about people doing it. <laughs> uh, Actually, uh, I, yeah, some, I should have given them the idea. There's something, yeah, there's somebody acting unfairly in the world. <laughs> uh, but thank you. Yes, thank you so much. We're very grateful for all that you do. And it's awesome. So, let's talk about this story. Um, it, so you put me onto this. I, um, I just just wanted to say really quickly, uh, you've read you read most of the book. I've read the whole book. You read the book, the whole book, and you chose this story. I've read only this story, but uh, once I read it, I knew why you chose it. Um, but this is your find, so I w- you're going to give a little overview of the themes of the story. 
Yeah, that's good. I'm I'm glad you introduced my introduction. Your introduction for, for the story. Wanted, wanted yeah. to make it clear that <laughs> I was tr- what I was trying to do is give you credit for being the the story, and then I just rambled on about. It. Uh, so anyway, it is a story about how technological advances can influence the way we understand ourselves the world and even truth itself. It actually there's a lot of there's some overlap between this story and the William James episode that we did that, that I don't think either of us were f- fully satisfied with. Um yeah. but there's there's some overlap in the themes of of this story. So Ted Cheng in this story focuses on two new technologies. One that doesn't exist yet, but and one that has existed for a, a long time. So the one that doesn't exist yet is called Remem, and it is a device like the one on that Black Mirror episode, A Brief History of You, that can record your experiences, but more importantly, like the advance of Remem is that it can call them up with quick and easy searches. So um, it's not, it's the people in the story already could record their experiences through their eyes or something, but it was time-consuming and sometimes difficult to bring them up. But now, thanks to Remem, uh, as the narrator writes, finding the exact moment you want is easy, and life logs that used to be ignored are being scrutinized as if they were crime scenes, thickly strewn with evidence for use in domestic squabbles. Uh, right, it's like a Google. It's like a Google technology, but you're searching yeah. your own videos. You're searching your own like past. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the old technology that is a sort of a parallel story here is writing. The ability to write down stories, to write down birth records, transcripts of trials, chapters in edited volumes, and <laughs> and other things. Like the lowest form. <laughs> The lowest, the lowest form of writing. <laughs> yeah, and so like I said, it tells two parallel stories about what happens when this new technology is introduced. The story about Remem is narrated by an unnamed journalist. He's never named, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, right? Right. Who initially wanted to write an article about the new technology and describe his misgivings about it. Um, so that's one aspect of the story. And then the other story about writing technology takes place in 1941 about a tribe somewhere. I don't know if we find out where. Do we I mean, find- they name the country, but I assume that it's a fictional uh, land. So it's a tribe with a longstanding oral tradition that um, comes under pressure when um, a missionary comes uh, named Mosby and introduces the main character of this part of the story, Jijingi, to the art of writing. So now there are a couple of spoilers coming. Um, and not yet, but we will talk about it. We have to talk about these spoilers. This story has, I would say, one big twist, but it's mm-hmm. both like a narrative twist and a thematic twist or a philosophical twist. Um, so the narrative twist we'll get to as we talk about the plot, um, but it's, it's reflected by this philosophical twist because I think what it does is you think the story is leaning one way about the costs and benefits of new technologies before the twist, but then it seems to lean the other way 
after the twist. Yeah. And so that's how I describe it. So please read the story before you listen to our discussion as we start to analyze it. I, I really think you'll like it. Um, but that's just my introduction to the themes. What did you think about the story? I was right. I read it twice. Um, I liked it even better the second time. Uh, it is, you know, I think this, this is how we pick stories for this podcast. It's just really rich with ideas. Yeah. Right? There's a density of ideas here. As you, as you already pointed out, it's, it's about this, these two stories that, that sort of are alternated in the telling are about identity and memory. They're about truth. Um, they're about relationships. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's just so much, it, obviously, about technology and the influence of technology, um, about what it means to be human and, and how technology changes that. And it, it's, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, he's, he's obviously a great writer, but he's also just, just, you can tell he's just a sharp dude. You know? Yeah. He's, he's, he's very, very intelligent about these ideas. You know, he's, he's bringing in a lot of varying ideas from different disciplines. And, and it's like, you know, the, the stories have kind of a, this is true of all of them. They have kind of a gimmick. But it's a very well-researched gimmick. And, you know, he yeah. writes about stuff that I know a lot about, like Free Will, and, and, and I think you know a lot about, too. And I mean, the movie Arrival, right? Did we yeah. mention that he, he, he wrote the short story based on the movie Arrival, this, which is just a heavily influenced by psycholinguistics, right? It's just... Yeah. I think already, like, three of these stories have been but optioned for <laughs> options yeah and there's a lot of them that would be um, including this one but i would say there's a couple others that i think like i ca- i almost can't believe they're not already movies um mm-hmm. but but like he really researches the technologies too in terms of what i don't know if you read in the his original volume but he 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 has a story about the tower of babel Mm-mm. um that really gets into what it would be like to build a tower that goes so high that it like how long it would take for people <laughs> to get the bricks up and like so he he gets into the like the weeds of the technology in a way that a lot of science fiction maybe doesn't i mean the best science fiction does like the the point of that story is just what would it really be like to build us a, a a tower into the sky like that that could go 50,000 feet high or whatever like how would you do that as an actual <laughs> people it's it's just really it's fascinating and i think all of his stories reflect that all right so let's talk about how this story goes do you want to go through the plot in a detailed way i i'll try let me try to give okay. an overview of sure. of the journalist story maybe you give the overview of the jijingi story so uh so the narrative structure like we said is that that there are these two stories one is in the indeterminate future um a journalist is trying to research as tam already said is trying to research this new technology that allows you to search through your life logs he's trying to write a, a an article saying that it's going to ruin going to ruin us he sounds mm. like a, a like an older person and not not ruined but he's he's trying he's trying to research this story on this new technology for for technology that he has avoided because he thinks there are downsides to it um and so he talks about those downsides and and that's that's one of the themes uh, of the story which is to have verbatim specific knowledge 
available to you about every detail of your life, he thinks is, is, is not a great thing. But then he tries the technology in order to, to research the article. And in the process of telling us that, that this is what he's doing, he's talking about, he talks about his daughter, Nicole, um, who, as the story goes, her mother, his wife left them at some point during her childhood. And this became very, very difficult. He had to be a single father and they went through rough patches in, in their life, but things have gotten better um, over time. And so he's sort of patting himself on the back for having made it through these difficult times and being a good father and having mended their relationship. And he specifically talks about this incident that really broke his heart. And when I read it, I was like, oh, man, that would be fucking heartbreaking um, as, as somebody who has been in not a dissimilar position. That's right. Uh, it would it yeah. would it would just hurt. And the story is that at some point in high school, it was in high school, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, she was a rebellious. Uh, she was a rebellious. She was going through a rebellious phase, yeah. and they were having a pretty nasty argument that, as he described, started for some trivial reason that who knows, he doesn't remember why. Um, but it was in that fight that she yelled at him uh, that this is, that it was his fault that his mother left. Um, you, you're the reason she left and he has a very uh, so you're the reason she left you drove her away you can leave too for all i care i sure as hell would be better off without you yeah and then she stormed out and this was a clearly a formative moment in his in his relationship and as he's telling it he's saying you know i was mad it took me a while but i i came to realize that she was in a very bad position you know she didn't choose this life like i i have more responsibility over this no matter how hard it's been for me i can't imagine how it's been for her yeah. and that was a turning point for him in in how he started dealing uh with his daughter and he was again over time finally culminating in her college graduation as as sort of a touchstone he says by that time we were getting along well before we get to the twist, can we just yeah. talk about that mm -hmm. aspect mm -hmm. of it? So, so I think his his deep misgiving at first about this technology, remem, is that sometimes you know relationships run into you, you. You have these rough patches, and mm -hmm. if you can just recall the every detail of what a person said to you. And what, like, that's a terrible thing. Sometimes we think we want it. Like, I get into fights with my wife all the time. And I'm like, but and we're just remembering what happened, like, you know, 20 minutes ago completely differently. And you sort of wish you had a recording. <laughs> but you don't really want that, right? And that's his point. That's his, or, uh, that's his point is that, like, sometimes to get over a fight, you just need to kind of forget what happened, form your own version of it. Right. And, and it's just going to fuck up relationships if everyone's like in a court case right now. Put exhibit A of you being a dick, exhibit yeah. B of you forgetting uh, something. Like that's just going to be, that's just not going to lead to a successful, long, like sustainable life together. Right. And specifically, he points out a couple of mechanisms. That way, yeah. Right. By, by the way, I've, I've, experiences i don't know if you have but in in arguments with with people i'm seeing like where where we just like start pulling up text messages <laughs> like like no you said this in the text message um, yeah see i fortunately it, my wife and i got together before that technology, yeah so um we just so, yell at each other about like you know there's no way to prove who's right <laughs> and who's wrong 
So, so he points out that for one, it's a mistake to think that finding the appropriate person to blame is what would resolve this conflict, right? So he says, I'm no marriage counselor, but it's pretty clear uh, from what I know that that's not really what's going to make things better, right? Like, it's not as if when somebody's like, you called me an asshole. No, I didn't. And then you rewind and you see, like, they're just going to justify why they called you or say that, you know, the context was out of whatever. And he points out that um, up until the remem is the search technology. Yeah. Um, And it's pretty cool. It allows you to, to, in a sub vocal way, um, that, that initiates the search. And so you can easily query uh, your life log. So that's the technology. And he says, um, before that, as Tamler said, like these huge life logs with all this shit, like the only time people really went to the logs was for matters of justice, like criminal justice, right? Like that's or when... like photo albums or like videos, like yeah, you're yeah, watching, yeah. like like that stuff, right? Right, right. But but he the the reason I'm bringing this up is specifically when he says like they were largely like of, used officially to to yeah. uh, for matters uh, of justice because and that's I think what he's what he's saying about relationships, yeah. It's a mistake to think that a relationship is like a court case. Like you said, it's not a matter of justice. It's a matter of getting uh, getting to some kind of agreement about how we should treat each other, not about what you said or what, what I said. And the second thing is, and I love this point, which is that is forgiveness possible when you have a specific detailed verbatim record of everything that somebody said? Yeah. And he says that forgiveness seems to him, at least, to be so dependent on the forgetting part from yeah. the forgive and forget saying that how can you heal a wound when you can always go back and look at the exact moment, right? Yeah. I mean, think of an extreme case. Like, suppose there is a case of infidelity, right? Like, your, your Tamla, your wife, cheats on you. And uh, you decide that you love her enough and she's regretful and you want to, you know, you want to, to get over it. But you always could look at that moment. I mean, this is the plot of Brief History of You, the Black yeah, Mirror oh, yeah, episode. Right. I forgot that. So forgetting seems to play a really critical role in human relationships. Yeah. Um, I can't is, count the number of yeah, like times yeah. she's cheated on me that I've had to forget until, <laughs> <laughs> until now. <laughs> and I find the memory, even in my life, is a wonderful wiping mechanism where like I you know I think we've mentioned yeah. this plenty of times like one of, one of the problems with talking about grad school is that like my memory has wiped wiped clean some of the anxiety and misery that I know I probably experienced um in my in my head it's like you know cool conversations over coffee with Paul Bloom or whatever you know like um, I also have trouble remembering because we haven't gotten into a big blowout fight you and me like in a long time like, in a long time what, what like what were those about again <laughs> yeah, exactly I know. I was, <laughs> you know I was actually thinking about like moments probably like a few years ago where I probably was looking at texts and, and like telling you no you said this um, and I remember uh, we had recordings there was sometimes we'd get into a fight over the recording and it's not like yeah. I was eager to look back and like, no, it's like, terrible. Like, like send, like send you, like Dropbox you, uh, like a recording yeah. of you being an asshole. I mean, think about it. I mean, I was actually recently in an argument where it got to a stupid level like that, where uh, where the other person was like, "I'm going to show you the text," and I'm like, "No, that's exactly what won't help resolve this." Like, if you show me the text, <laughs> because then um, that'll demonstrate that I'm an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, so. He makes the point, and there's a little allusion to Borges um, here, I think, uh, 
Borges has a story called Funes the Memorius about yeah. a man who remembers every single detail. And, and uh, Chang points to, to one case of this uh, where the problem with remembering everything in specific detail is that you don't abstract away from, from those specifics. Yeah. And it's very, your brain, your mind is so preoccupied with details that it's hard to carve out generalize. It. So I, mean, I, I take this to be a separate point. This is something that, so I, yeah. it, uh, this is, uh, I, I would say there's two misgivings that he has about this technology. And the first is what it'll do to relationships. The second is what it will do to just your conception of yourself as yep. a person. Right. So he thinks that those two, like your identity as a person, and then so he gives an example of, uh, you know, his memory as a child of having these afternoons with his grandmother that were so, you know, he has these warm memories of spending this time with his grandma. And he says, you know, what if I had a videotape of it? What if I had a life log of this? And in that life log, I saw like her, you know, having to make an effort to be patient with me, right? Or, you know, saying, being annoyed. Like yeah. it's not in his memory. It would sort of ruin maybe what is the deep truth that is that his grandmother loved him right yeah. and that um, it was a like it was a great uh yeah. experience for him yeah um, yeah so here's what he says so he says people are made of stories our memories are not the impartial accumulation of every second we've lived they're the narratives we've assembled out of selected moments which is why even when we've experienced it the same events as other individuals we never constructed identical narratives the criteria used for selecting moments were different for each of us and a reflection of our personalities and then he says but i wondered if everyone remembered everything would our differences get shaved away what would happen to our sense of self it seemed to me that a perfect memory couldn't be a narrative any more than an unedited security cam footage could be a feature film. Yeah. And I think that's like a really interesting analogy. It's like that our sense of self comes from the fact that we selectively interpret parts of our memory and create parts of our memory and experience to form our sense of who we are. And if we just had you know, like the, the camera's running, yeah. then like we're all just like atoms bouncing around kind of. Yeah, there'd be a, you know, blooming, buzzing confusion <laughs> that William James thought of that infancy was like. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, I think, a deeply true point. Like the psychology of memory is, you know, if there is one thing that people who study memory or are, are try to drive home to people is that your memory just isn't like a videotape. Like the people have this sort of lay view that you're recording these detailed events and that it's just a problem of recall when you can't remember it. But no, you don't, you know, memory works to guide future action and it highlights the sort of important things. And over time memories, there's plenty of work that memories get distorted. Oftentimes it's because for, for reasonable, reasonable, uh, uh, mechanisms in the environment, right. That, that are influencing your memory when everybody say experiences something like say nine 11, um, people incorporate into their memory a bunch of shit that they heard afterwards from yeah. other people. And it makes some sense, right? Your your memory is serving to guide to guide your future behavior. So it makes sense to incorporate all the environmental information. It can go crazily wrong for that reason, but but that's just how that's just how it works. Now, what if you don't what if you do have a videotape? Like it kills the narrative and it might kill relationships. And I, there's a nice quote here that he says, consistent with this and what you just read. It seemed to me that continuous video of my entire childhood would be full of facts, but devoid of feeling. 
simply because cameras couldn't capture the emotional dimension of events. And that's your memory is capturing the emotional dimension. Emotions are playing a huge role in what you remember. Yeah. And in fact, there's great research showing that even emotions that you have after the fact about an event change your memory for the event. Right. So, so um, as your emotions towards something change over time, so too your memory, your, your memory might change. Which is good because if you like, you know, like you go on a vacation that maybe had a lot of stressful bullshit and mm-hmm. like maybe some bickering and fights, but then it just kind of turned out okay maybe in the last couple of days and, and it brought y- you and your the people you were with closer together, you know, and then your memory just emphasizes the good parts. There is a yeah. truth to that. And that's like the, that this is the title thing, right? Like truth yeah. of fact and the truth of feeling. Right. There are two kinds of truths. My colleague Tom Gilovich does his research on, on spending, spending your money on experiences versus on material goods. And one of the reasons that he says that it, we're so much happier when we, when we, purchase experiences like going on vacation or something is that even when those go bad you can create a fun story from it you know that time you had that horrible vacation and what you're doing is you're imposing narrative structure on this and you're dealing with it by imposing that narrative structure right you are you are giving meaning and and in in processing the events in a way that just isn't Fact after fact right. after fact. You can't right? do it's that like, with your refrigerator because it's just right there. <laughs> exactly. It's just a reminder <laughs> it's like, you bought a whack refrigerator, a <laughs> shitty TV. The way that I was thinking about this is the difference between, say you're making a documentary film, right? Like, You might think that the work is in gathering all of the footage, but that's not most of the work, I don't believe. No, the work is in fucking somehow making a coherent narrative out of all that footage. Like That's from what I understand, the deep challenge in, in doing something. You know, this could be an episode on its own. What is a documentary in relationship right. to truth? But just the act of editing, which is uh, very much like what we do with memory, a lot of it unconsciously, mm-hmm. creates its own kind of truth. And a different person could create a different kind of truth with that exact same footage. Right. And so here's so here is what I think is the he concludes at the end of this section before the twist. Yeah, that narrative that we construct is so critical to our sense of self. So he says, I wondered if everyone remembered everything, would our differences get shaved away? What would happen to our sense of self? It seemed to me that a perfect memory couldn't be a narrative any more than than unedited security cam footage could be a feature film. So there's the fear of a disjointed self when your memory, as we now have it, is is no longer the primary source of information about who you are in your past. Make sense? Yeah. I mean, I just I did just read that passage. I don't know if you remember. You did? <laughs> yes. And we have this recorded, too. Yeah, we do. That is hilarious. <laughs> and and just to emphasize where, where I think you're going before you get to the twist, up till this point in the story, you're kind of, if you're me especially, maybe not you, you, you have a little bit more of the kind of rationalist science, like scientistic or whatever <laughs> side of you. But like, it's I'm funny. like, yeah, this is totally right. Like this new technology. And I was thinking of analogies with like GPSs fucking with our sense of direction, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like these new technologies are just fucking with us in ways that we don't understand. And that the, the sort of 
forced objectivity of the of them is a different kind of distortion that we're not able to detect now that we have all this new information and well, and that's where it seems like the story is going yeah right so it's like uh you know and there's there's work we talked about this off sort of offloading your memory you know people have trouble remembering shit when google is next to them right you yeah. just don't you don't use your faculties in the same way like yeah. what and is this doing something to us well i don't ha- i don't have to know yet what it's doing to me because i until until you take away all of my technology i just don't have to so yeah so here's the twi- here's the twist so he searches he's got this all installed one of the one of the virtues of this system is that you can request permission to view any footage in a sort of social networky kind of way that other people have of you. So suppose as as the author didn't didn't have this installed in him, yeah. and uh, so he's trying to rebuild a database, um, and so he sort of puts out a request. You automatically get permission granted for footage of yourself whenever anybody has it. He sees that there's a spike when his daughter got got this this installed so it captured you know from that moment on every interaction he had with his daughter so he's like you know all right i'm gonna look at that fight because that was you know at first he's looking at it like just other normal stuff he's like if i'm gonna trash this new technology i should at least try it so i know what i'm talking about unlike us when we trash things (laughs) without knowing (laughs) he's more responsible or at least he portrays himself to be Exactly. And this is, I think this is a a nice, very nice literary way of showing this change. You know, he's being really sympathetic to himself in the first part of the story. And in a way that it seems like a normal story. Yeah, of course. And we feel, and we sympathize with him too. (laughs) Last spoiler alert, please read the story. Cause I I really (laughs) like, I can't, there's something about this twist, even though it's not that big a deal yes no ways. M. Night Shyamalan twist but it's so it's an emotional twist it, it, it's and it's so good so interesting in a way yeah. that M. Night Shyamalan twists <laughs> yeah, often was, aren't um finally he says it seemed time for me to try remem on some memories that were emotionally freighted I love the way that he says all right I'm gonna go to some yeah. of these fights my relationship with Nicole his daughter felt strong enough now for me to safely revisit the fights we'd had when she was young right so he's like you know I fixed this shit so let me go I'm, I'm, I'm big enough to do this so yeah. so he sub vocalizes the time Nicole yelled at me you're the reason she left the window pops up and sure enough he he lists out the words just as he remembered them you're the reason she left you drove her away you can leave too for all i care i sure as hell would be better off without you the words were just as i remembered them but it wasn't nicole saying them it was me (laughs) i mean now yeah that's just so and and so at first he thinks it's not real like she doctored it which is you know, now you're starting to get a sense of who this guy is. Like he was sure that 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 she doctored it, and he was annoyed at her at first. Then he figures out through the technology that no, that's actually <laughs> how it happened. Right. Yeah. So here's where, like, I I need to if if you think that this isn't a realistic twist, yeah. that something this important would not be uh, misremembered, then just read a little bit of the psychology of memory. Right? So there's there's a nice literature on what's called flashbulb memories where uh, the initial thought was that people 
for highly emotional events, people would have like very, very accurate recollection for them. And when people started studying it, for sure enough, people, you know, they remembered where they were, who they were talking to, all kinds of detailed shit. They remember, you know, how emotional they were. It seemed as if that that's right, right? People, people have a good memory for their emotional, uh, these emotional events until, until people actually did a right, the right kind of study to test for accuracy, much the way that, that this journalist is doing by looking up his own life. Yeah. Turns out that they're just not that accurate. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I, you know, I've had this experience. I used to lecture about this stuff and I remember, I don't know if I've told this story before, but I had a very vivid memory of the space shuttle challenger disaster, which is one of the studies that was done and where I was and who the teacher was, who didn't let us watch it on TV, but the other class got it. And I was like, he was an asshole or whatever. I realized like three years into teaching this, that I had completely, I was off by an entire year. Yeah. It was a completely different person. Different teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And so this shit, this hits me in the gut because I can totally see me rewriting my own memory and having, just like in those studies, all of the confidence that I did or said something and being completely wrong. Yeah. He says, uh, I would have testified hand on a stack of Bibles or using any oath required of me that it was Nicole who'd accused me of being the reason her mother left us. My recollection of that argument was as clear as any memory I had, but that wasn't the only reason I found the video hard to believe. It was also my knowledge that whatever my faults or imperfections, I was never the kind of father who could say such a thing to his child. <laughs> Yet here was digital video proving that I had been exactly that kind of father. And while I wasn't that man anymore, so he's still kind of in slightly delusional mm -hmm. state here, or at least that's suggested. I couldn't deny that I was continuous with him, which is a nice callback to him saying that earlier about something yeah. that I find that so like this also hit me on a gut level. And I have similar experiences to you where there are things I remember that turned out to be totally different than, and I remember them so clearly and they just didn't happen that way. But then also the other things that I don't know about, like yeah. what do I remember that, that just I'm, that it's a complete invention and that last part that he says i think is so interesting and so sad and so kind of deep is i i, I didn't think i could be that kind of person who would do yeah. that like a man and i and like i feel this way too there's nothing that eliza could do to me that if under those circumstances i could say that to her you know <laughs> and this is what he's talking about where your selective memory constructs a narrative and that narrative constitutes who you are yourself. Yeah. Cause you go back to those memories, right? That feeling of continuity is in many ways, just hearkening back to these experiences that you've had. Like, you know, I remember in high school, I did this. I remember in college, I did this. And, but this is such a deeply moral thing. Like your whole moral yeah. conception of self is, yeah. I could never do this, this, or this. No, I know. I <laughs> this this haunts me because I can sometimes see myself rewriting my role in some sh shitty things that I've done. I can kind of just see yeah. it happening, like so much so that, like a year later, I probably know that I will be like, no, no, that never happened. 
Yeah. Right? Like I'll I'll sort of switch around my timelines, you know. Like <laughs> it totally explains how you've been able to live with, your, with yourself it's, for all the shit you've done with to me. It's true. You know, shout out to by the way, my former student Chelsea Helion and another student, Eric Kelzer. We have a paper that we're working on right now that that kind of is trying to look at this where when when you ask people to remember times that they were morally harmed, people can generate a shit ton of them. If you ask people to remember a time when they harm someone else, is very they they come up short, right? Yeah. And in a way that just can't be true. I think because, for instance, we justify things, we use context in our explanation of ourselves. We, you know. So just to another, just I think just such a great detail and why Ted Chang is just such a good writer and and he goes into this i think deeper than a lot of people who came up with this idea would go into it you mentioned earlier that he the way he had remembered it even though she said that hurtful thing he realized that there are ways (laughs) in which he had been selfish and that he needed to become a better father (laughs) like and so you know, at the time where you're hearing that, you're like, oh, you know, this isn't self-aggrandizing. This is somebody who kind of <laughs> changed as a father because it's true. It would be a little selfish to consider yourself a victim under those right. circumstances. And yes, maybe she said this hurtful thing, but you need to get over that and you need to. And and then he remembers this college graduation as the sort of culmination of him improving himself as a person and as a father. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that story, that that narrative arc. Yeah, and I love that it starts out with him being kind of the bad guy, but not <laughs> in any way like reflecting how much of a bad guy he actually was. And then he has this narrative where he was so successful in reforming himself that their relationship at the graduation was really good. And then so he has this kind of confrontation face to face with his his <laughs> daughter. And, and to his credit, he is really upfront about like, yeah. I'm so sorry, I can't believe this, you know, and then and and so she at first is as you would be if you were her just appalled that he remembered it. As- yeah. She's like, what do you remember? What? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's just like, how- it's just so insulting. <laughs> it's so insulting. And, and then you realize she's gone through so much shit because of, of yeah. that. And then he says, well, the graduation where I remember us being good, you know, is is that real? And she says, yes, that's real, but not because of anything you did, but because I went to therapy and my therapist convinced <laughs> me that I shouldn't just stay angry at you. Oh, and dude. I thought that was such, it's such a great, like, not only do you misremember the event, but you misremember the context or, or you invent sort of context of everything that's happened after that right. to f- fit your narrative of you right. as a improving, you know, like self-reflective person. That's yeah. so cool. And I, I mean, sad. He, you know, he's the protagonist of reality, right? So yeah. it, it's like he, he's, it's all about it's all about him in this way that she really brings him out of it, yeah. right? She, like, did you somehow think this is about you? Like, fuck you. Yeah. Like now you said that to me. Now imagine like all the shit that I went through and and she's she doesn't 
pull punches. She's kind of like, in fact, I kind of didn't like her when I, I was know. reading that part. You know? I agree. She's- yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, who knows why, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty, little I was like, oh, you shouldn't say that. He's, he is trying to apologize. Yeah, yeah. And he says that I'm trying to apologize. And she's like, it's all about you. It's like, well, it's about me in the sense that I'm trying to apologize. <laughs> like, right. how, like how, how else are you going to yeah, apologize? She's like, it's just, it's just meaningless. Like, I've been over this. Like, you're going to bring this up now? You're harming me by bringing this up now. Like, I was over this. And, you know, the fucked up thing is that as you read it, he actually, he's a little bit tail between his legs. He's like, no, you're right. Yeah. You know, I... I'm really sorry for all the shit that I've done. And, you know, I'm sorry for even hurting you by bringing this up. And then you're like, yeah, he's a good guy. But then you think he's fucking writing the story. Like yeah. that could have gone a completely different way. <laughs> like, he's become an unreliable narrator. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So somehow in this narrative, he comes, he comes out of it, like looking like a good guy. So, and, yeah, I mean, he does. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, and in a way that I still, even knowing that kind of, believe that he is but at the same time like let's just maybe let's just talk about this yeah if he really said that like can you be a good guy if you really said that to your teenage daughter after her mother abandoned the family like in a- i mean this is yeah this is where i just think like it's as much as i you know it's part of like the research that I do is on attributions of character and like that kind of shit. I think that it's a mistake to think that he is either a good or a bad guy. Right. This is just shit we do. Yeah. Right. And sometimes the shit we do, we're, we are the bad guy in somebody's life. Yeah. You know, that's right. Like people might resent us for things that we have no idea that we did. And in fact, things that we would never think. And it's not that like, no, no, I'm a good guy. Of course I want to believe that I'm a good guy, but I am a neutral agent. I am like a thing that does things. And some of those things suck and some of them don't. And, you know, I mean, you're not denying that people, there are better people or worse people. No, no, I'm I'm sort of like the hardline situation. (laughs) No, no, no. I like, I think there's stability and I think that there's, you know, But our intentionality overwhelms our behavior in our own view of who we are. And other people's behavior overwhelms their intentionality in when we judge other people. And I think that if you really reflect on what we are, we are sort of just, you know, we're, we're people who undoubtedly are, are bad and good. And you yeah. know, what, the question of what we do to try to ensure that we're good is a I, tough one. I still wonder when it comes to something like that so i agree with you like we're capable of doing terrible things we probably have done terrible things maybe but there's something about so it's not just that he said it in a fit of anger but then that he remembered it the other way that i, I like i even Knowing the research that you're describing, even having some ability to self-reflect, I just don't think I would be capable of doing those two things together. Maybe I could, in a bout of anger, like if 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 she pushed me and, and tr- you know just triggered like my rage, I, I I could say it, but I can't imagine myself remembering it as she said it to me. Like, I can't I, think of any other example in my life where something like that's happened. Maybe that's just because there's not this technology, right? I mean, that's yeah. the point. So uh, a good friend of mine and and his son, uh, 
who sometimes listen to this podcast, so apologies. No, no identities revealed. Um, have had a, a long-standing Paul, disagreement. Paul Bloom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have had a long-standing disagreement about a memory uh, from childhood. Probably a series of memories um, where the child vividly remembers some very, very hurtful things that the father said. The father swears he's in, he was incapable of saying those things. He thinks this is just, you know, and and listening to them both it's it almost doesn't matter who's right what, what matters is that they get past it um yeah. but but and this is the twist where i think that if if we did have this technology it might get them some way into resolving this because yeah. right now neither of them is willing to believe otherwise so that's what's so interesting about the you know the there's the narrative twist but then there's the thematic twist where at first you think the way he's describing this technology, and of course you get it because he's telling yeah. the story, it, it it sort of flatters your skepticism about this being a good thing for humanity. Yeah. But then, you know, the way it turns out, it actually does... I don't know if it improves his relationship with his daughter, though it might, because she also finds that she didn't remember things totally clearly. And so that softens her attitude a little bit towards him. And you don't get the sense that their relationship is worse afterwards from her perspective. It's it's almost surely better from her perspective, but not necessarily from his. Like, well, yeah. Okay, so we... so. We should talk about the other story because when we yeah. do, I want to pitch something that that is just the idea that's growing on me uh, okay. that that unifies these two. Because on the face of it, well, they're both very unified, I think, and they both have parallel twists. I think, yeah, but 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 I feel like the emotional tone of the two is different, different. in a way that you might conclude two opposite things from the mm-hmm. influence of technology, right? Yeah. So, but so for this one though. I totally agree. For this one, it it seems like the arc of it is at first you're supposed to and again, this is not clear cut. There's no agenda here. But at first he's leaning you towards thinking this is something that was destructive for yeah. us at a very deep level. And at the la- and then at the end of the story you think, oh, maybe this is actually something that would be good for us so that we stop being such self-obsessed, self-deluded assholes. Right, right. The ability to know that you're an asshole is what is being bought by this technology. Yeah. And it is a, it is something that evades us just because of all of the protective mechanisms that we have. Um, it's rare that you can be shown clear evidence of your assholeness. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're good at sort of constructing yeah. yourself not to be you know which I, you know i feel I, like i am like i feel like yeah. that's a skill that i have i i absolutely think that too this is this is why you about know, I think me I've said a few times <laughs> um I've, I've said a few times like there's i have to just admit that there are things that i've said that have hurt people there are things i've done that are bad and because that's the only way I'll be open to like improving myself. Cause like you can rest on your laurels by like focusing so much on the good things you've done. But here's what's so interesting, right? Like that's exactly what the narrator would have said before the, you know, the twist is, Oh yeah. Like here's an example of me being a bad yeah. guy. And, and then I, 
And then I improved myself. And that, so in other words, you saying that, we could still be pre twist saying yeah. that. Uh, it's true. Two things, though. One, that's getting part of the way there, right? There's a reason we think that he's a good guy because yeah. that is more than some people might do if he's really doing that. But two, one of the things that he didn't do was have a conversation with his daughter about it. Yeah. Right. And I, like, I don't think I do this very well. Like, I can't even remember the last time I did it, but being really like asking somebody, Hey, like, tell me, like, be honest. Like, have I always treated you like, you know, like, tell me sometimes, can you imagine going to, to your wife or to your girlfriend or your boyfriend, or whatever, saying, can you tell me sometimes when I did something that really hurt you that like, I might not know about, like gather that information. And he's, he, I think that's part of his problem is that he concluded something with before he really talked to his daughter about it. But see, and, and, and part of this is maybe because I'm a bit of an open book in things and I have a hard time just not talking about bit conflict and bad things in the air. But what I think that is, and I don't know if this is not believable or if this is just a certain type of person, but I couldn't have had that fight. Whoever said yeah. You know, I couldn't have had that fight without talking about it for the next six months, essentially, and trying to figure out why that was said. And so that's why you never put that much effort into me with our fights. <laughs> yeah. like you just <laughs> well, I see you more as like a, like a you know booty call kind of <laughs> fuck toy. So maybe maybe you're right that uh, I love how our relationship is such that I didn't even blink at that joke. <laughs> um uh i mean maybe you're right but like what you don't what you're not what you wouldn't be doing in that situation is uh gathering brand new information about something that you may not know that you've done you know just like i just had this memory i i was with friends from high school uh and one of my friends from high school said that me and you know this other friend played what is sounds like the cruelest joke that I've ever heard <laughs> on him and some girl that really was into him and loved him. I and I ha, and I had completely erased it. Like he said, I would have sworn on a stack of Bibles that I didn't do it. And I'd like to maintain, in fact, that I didn't do it. But I don't. But I think that he wouldn't lie about this. So no, it's terrible. It's a terrible time. And. I don't like I couldn't believe it and I would maintain till my dying day if he hadn't told me that and 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 so we should talk about the other story because yeah. we it has not come up at all and I think it it's maybe not as gripping but there is a lot of interesting stuff in that too I take the primary point of this story which is detailed and, and fairly long um, about this hunter-gatherer seeming tribe and culture in the 40s um is to point out that hey this has happened before yeah and the way that it happened is a way that you completely take for granted now so you might think that this is all identity changing but you don't realize that we've gone through a pretty steep identity changing technologies already and and this is just about the emergence of writing as a technology which it's totally true i mean you would almost think that it was a innate ability Right. It's yeah. so, so second nature to to process the written form. Um, but most humans that have existed had zero ability. Like this just didn't exist. Um, 
Yeah. So the oral culture, you want to give a, a quick overview? I think I did a bad job. Of, I went too long in my overview. No, I think it was it was okay. good. Um, so, but, you know, of course, you would think that you did. <laughs> yeah. I'd be a good person. So the idea is that there's this tribal culture. This missionary comes and introduces this young man. I think he's... Yeah, 13, I think, when he starts, when he's being introduced to this. And this missionary is trying to tell them the story of Adam and Eve, and he reads this on this paper, and this kid has heard about paper and what it is, but he doesn't understand it. And he says, well... That's uh, you know that's interesting. It's not a you didn't tell the story well. You're not you're not a great storyteller. <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of interesting. And then he learns how to write, and he learns the the art Jajingi does. When clearly his tribe isn't right. He's I think the only yeah. one. Yeah, but there what's what's interesting about the tribe, and it's not like they're reactionary against it either. No. They are just not interested in it like. Chijingi is, and they're a little suspicious of of some of the, the things that it can do. In maybe roughly the way that the narrator is suspicious mm-hmm. of it, but I thought, here's one thing that I don't see a parallel of. When he talks about writing and the way it helps you think, yeah, the, there's this cool line where he says, writing helps me decide what I want to say, and then... I think Jijingi puts it perfectly where he says, as he practiced writing, Jijingi came to understand what Mosby had meant. Writing was not just a way to record what someone said. It could help you decide what you would say before you said it. And words were not just the pieces of speaking. They were the pieces of thinking. When you wrote them down, you could grasp your thoughts like bricks in your hand and push them into different arrangements. Writing let you look at your thoughts in a way you couldn't if you were just talking. And having seen them, you could improve them, make them stronger and more elaborate. And that, you know, this is something anybody who's written is familiar with at a visceral level that the act of writing helps to form what your opinion is and what your thoughts are and what your ideas are. And when you start writing, you don't know where it's going to go in the same way that you do after you've written. Absolutely. I, I will say that this is something that when, especially right now where I'm in a bit of a lull with writing, like there's a corresponding lull in how I'm thinking about things because yeah. I don't, I, I, I noticed that Ian Forster, Ian <laughs> <laughs> Forster said, this is going to sound pretentious, but I remember this. I, I, I read this in my twenties. I think, I don't know. I don't know anymore what happened and what didn't, but how do I know what I think until I see what I write. That's the idea. It's like you start the writing and then it just brings out like your, what yeah. you think about a topic. Yeah. Yep. And, and it, you know, so many times, so many times I have to remind students, you know, write, start writing the paper. Right? Like you think you're doing all this work, organizing your thoughts, but like until you start writing, you don't really know, you know, you don't really know. But um, also do an outline. Yeah, but so <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, but but then there's other things that writing does that we don't even totally understand. 
how it damages, but telling a story. I mean, I think there's definitely a reason that maybe the two greatest works of literature of all time didn't get written down for 400 years. Like the Iliad and the Odyssey, like they were, they were passed on. That story was passed on in an oral tradition and the storytelling aspect of it arguably has never been equalized or at least, but I mean, even if it's, you can quibble about, but like the fact that those two works are so paramount in Western, so much of Western literature is modeled on it. And the fact that for at least 500 years, it was never written down. That's, that shows that there's a downside to being able to record that the, the art of storytelling gets, chipped away at it gets eroded in some way and and, you know think about what it takes to memorize stories of that length and then you get a sense of what an oral culture is so if we didn't say the jinkies tribe is is an oral culture not that they all like blow blow each other well we don't know that um but that's not (laughs) not, that's not how um and uh it might be one of those cultures where you have to like the 12 year olds have to suck the dicks of the elders in order to (laughs) I think there's a lot of subtext that, to that effect. <laughs> Mosby, um, the missionary, you know. But memory, we just don't have this kind of memory. I, I mean, right. we just, we, it's available to us if we really practiced it, but nobody, nobody memorizes 500 pages of, of something. And, and the uh, way he describes storytelling, uh, Jijingi, and, you know, he, his elder and the way he tells a story, it's not just with the words, yeah. but the, the feeling, right. like his tone, his body, just like the, the, the story just exudes from his whole being rather than just being words on it. Exactly. And hopefully this is just upon reflection, it's obvious what the difference is, right? I mean, yeah. it's really the difference, you know, good actors and bad actors, right? Like, yeah. It's uh, the difference but, between reading Shakespeare and seeing Shakespeare performed yeah, exactly. by great actors. Right. I love Jijingi when the missionary Mosby is telling him like, Oh, the stories are, are on the paper. And he says, how can paper tell a story? <laughs> yeah. It, and that's totally right. Right. Um, it's like, that doesn't even make sense to him because yeah. storytelling is like an essential quality of it is that people tell it and the way they tell it. But then now the introduction of writing raises a problem because now that he can write down the stories that the elders tell, he's like, well, you didn't tell it that way <laughs> last year. You know, like, like, what are you talking about? I did. And yeah. then he gives him, like, he goes back to the, I mean, it is, this is a cool parallel, right? He's like, no, I wrote down what you said. And it's a fairly big difference. Yeah. Wasn't it? I, I thought that this was one of the cases where it wasn't that. Different. It wasn't that different. He says, oh, you're right. right. It's the same story, but you change the way you tell it right this is the original like no it's it's the same and what so here's a really interesting little again just a really thing that sets ted chang i think apart from other people who might be writing something like this uh he says if you told it the way you did before you would say that you yengi captured the women and children and carried them off as slaves every time and then the, the elder looks at him and says that's What's important? This is what you've learned about writing. And then this other elder says, it's not your place to judge Jijingi. The hare favors one food. The hippo favors another. Let each spend his time as he pleases. And so you're getting a kind of, I don't know, like right away you're getting a kind of epistemic relativism 
that's being accepted but but in a nice twist it's actually the the stupid kid who's given the benefit of the doubt here (laughs) not the elder that's given the benefit of the doubt later the elder will be given the benefit of the doubt in a fairly significant and dramatic way but you get the sense that they understand truth in a different way and in fact they do like they even have different words for two kinds of truths precise right. truths and um what's right and what's precise what's right and what's precise which is i mean this is just i love i love that stuff that's great it's a great distinction and yeah. and i mean on the one hand it's very clearly true on the other hand it gives them a lot of flexibility and we see that flexibility <laughs> right because of you know, whatever colonization, there's a push to have um, the Europeans don't want to deal with all of these separate tribes as independent government, you know, as independent units. And so they want to unify these, these tribes. How do you unify them? Well, there's a natural way, which is to look at which tribes share ancestors because the ancestors are right. The, the critical, critical part of the identity of each of the tribes. So they're all of the same people, but all of the same people have uh specific different lineages of ancestry and so all of the tribes get together and they're trying to decide where Jijingi's tribe should go who they should unify with and so part of their little groups wants to go with one uh group one lineage and the other Jijingi's wants to go with another one and they get into an all-out argument about this um there are two different ancestors they said like should we go with the Jachira uh, clan or with the Kwande clan Right. And that's what the argument is. And uh, the European, the Mosby says, hey, didn't, you know, when the Europeans first came here, didn't they write down all yeah. of this stuff? Right. And he's like, yeah, like, let's go. Look. Can we go check? Yeah, let's go. look." So so Mosby, because he needs a European with him uh, and and Jinga go and check it out. Turns out. His the wise man, the the chief of his tribe, who is seems like a really nice guy, um, is totally wrong. Yeah, like that he was wrong about the lineage. So he's been arguing, and they've been sort of like casting aspersions on this other tribe. They've been saying like they're lying about who our lineage is because they want to get something out of this, and we are standing firm because we know that our ancestor is is Quande, uh, and so. Uh, so Jinki comes back and is like, and he goes back very what? eager, like he rushes <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah. He's like, I've got to correct, I've got to write this wrong. I've got to, you know, yeah. right, yeah. So he goes to uh, to Sabe. First, he does exactly what the father uh, did in the previous story, which is there must be something wrong with this record. Yeah, <laughs> right. And he's like, no, no, it's not wrong. Uh, well, he says, well, who said this? And he says, well, our, our, you know, venerable ancestors said this. He says, well, you're right. They were great men. So they couldn't have said this. <laughs> so, and, and he said, the paper yeah. said it. It's not yeah. like they didn't say it. Like, I think you're reading it wrong. <laughs> right. or, or, or like, yeah, he's like, well, and he's like, don't you think we should listen to our ancestors? He's like, absolutely. And if they were here, I would definitely listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. And they would tell me exactly what I already know. So at this is the turning point, right? Where the twist is less of a twist in this case. It's just that Jijinki realizes that he's not going to win this and that he probably shouldn't. Yeah. Right? There is a truth to what the elder is saying 
that he doesn't want to disagree with. So do you, I mean, this is interesting because I think you could read this a number of ways. Like, how are we supposed to take this? Are we supposed to think the elder is right about this? Are we supposed to think, no, this is why writing is so important that because this can be the agent of oppression. This can be the vehicle for doing all sorts of injustice. If you can just make up your own history, like if we can, I mean, think of what we've done how much we've sugarcoated what we've done to Native Americans, how much we've... Are we supposed to think, no, this is exactly why you need writing? Or are we supposed to see a kind of truth in what the other elder is arguing? Yeah. I I admit that I'm tempted by Jijingi's side uh, and saying, well, I, I take that what what he's doing is respecting the decisions of the elders because the elders believe it to be the right decision to go with this particular group. And what they're doing is they're just using the lineage as a justification. Right. But they're being wise that the right decision is to go with this group. And the way in which they can easily convince everybody else that this is wise is by, uh, by just appealing to this lineage. And maybe they've themselves forgotten, but, uh, but, uh, but that's not I, I the point. Think, yeah. yeah, I think what's going on is that he's he's agreeing with he's he's deferring to the wisdom of the elder um, and saying, you know, like it doesn't matter. It, it, what matters is where he thinks we should go, and where he thinks we should go. I think is is thinking is is not really just about who our lineage is. It's about all these other things, and but he's not going to list all of those other things. Right. Like he might not even be able to. So it's a pragmatist view of truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know that Jijinki is secretly thinking, oh, fuck, man. uh, We just lied. (laughs) We just lied. Yeah. And they have this debate earlier about, no, it's not a lie if what you're saying is right, even if it's not precise. So like all of this stuff is foreshadowed, the epistemic relativism, the I'm I'm interested that that's your take. I would have predicted that you would have had the opposite take that this is, you know, that this is parallel to what if the father had just said, no, fuck it. Like, I think she said it and I'm denying the evidence. Well, this is this is what brings me back like full circle, because one of the things that upon reading this and discussing it just now that I'm I'm thinking is that. You know, that story is written, the, the journalist and his daughter's story is written with her essentially uh, because of the fact, because of the fact that he was the one who said that, telling him that he's been the villain the whole time. Yeah. There very well might be a truth to him being a good guy that she is ignoring because she's relying on the particular fact that he said that in the argument. So there might actually be a way in which she is focusing on what's precise right? and she's wrong about what's right. Yeah. Maybe she did, in fact, treat him like shit. Well, I mean, there's actually that's um, that you, you say that. And I remember writing something down about that. Like, well, you something because because I said it, you're now trying to claim it as your memory. Exactly. Uh, No, there's something that Nicole says, which makes it seem like she's doing her own version of what he's doing. Yeah. 
she's self-righteous in the same exact way. Yeah, which would totally make sense. I mean, and, they're and really- because she's using the precision truth, he acquiesces because yeah. that's the truth that he thinks is the truth. Yeah, that's right. He's not like Sabe, which, by the way, is to know in Spanish. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think like good literature, he's not he he's not taking a full side here. He's showing both sides in a really vivid and interesting way. The reason I I kind of thought you might take the other version of the Mosby story is that there does seem something will like it seemed like the Scott Adams on Sam Harris podcast like yeah. well it doesn't yeah. matter like if those are the facts or what matters is the emotional truth behind it and what gets done and what I don't know like I kind of thought you were you you I I I, I thought you were less postmodern here no 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 here is the here is my my interpretation of what's going on which is I absolutely think that that can happen right with that distortion Chang has gone out of his way to give us specific examples of the wisdom of Sabe, mm-hmm. right? And I think that the reason he's doing that is because he wants to set the stage for this guy being fair and honest and good to his people. Yeah. And I think that what might really be going on is that either he doesn't realize that his memory changed this because he has yeah. reasons to believe that this would be the better thing. But also there's a complex way in which I think his intuition as an elder, we now trust, not because it's a gut, just emotional, like I want to convince everybody that that I'm right, but rather there might be 10 different reasons, like the proximity of this other tribe to our current tribe, like our ability to maintain our natural resources, our ability to uh, travel where we need to travel. All of those things might actually be reasons, but they're not from the kind of culture where it's going to list a whole bunch of reasons and argue. Yeah. They trust they trust the wisdom. Yeah. Right? In in fact wisdom is sabe like sabiduría is wisdom in Spanish. So I I'm I'm assume there's Latin behind it not that Ted Chang is speaking Spanish. But I think that they trust his wisdom. That is the truth. It's not just the truth of feelings, it's the truth of a deep wisdom that we yeah. try you know. Um Yeah. And maybe he's just incapable of saying all of those things. And you know, Sabe's the one who originally chided the guy yeah, for right. for attacking uh, Jijingi. It's not your place to judge him. So that is a kind of wisdom. It's a kind of sophistication that he then shows. That totally makes sense. That he's the one to say that, and it both it both signals a kind of epistemic relativism, but also just a wisdom. Like uh, like yeah. he knows what's best he's being charitable to to his people i mean Uh, you think about it like what an expert is sometimes like you you might disagree it's almost like the pig newtons thing right where you're like look do you really want me to come in here and tell you exactly all of the reasons that i think this just let me fucking say it's pig newtons and just believe me right because i know better than you and sabe might have like a whole list of things that he may have well discussed with the other elders in the argument yeah. And he might have just thought this is the best way to communicate this. Um, or yeah. or might it. not. Or like, right. that's the thing I think that is interesting yeah. about this is I, I think at some deep level, he doesn't think that matters in the same yes. way that my rel- right. relatives about 
Judaism, they were telling me I needed to live as an Orthodox person for a year and then marry Jen and she converts as Orthodox. And I'm like, giving, I was in a new atheist phase of my own and I'm giving all this like evidence and they're like, yeah, whatever, that's fine. Just live this way. You know, here's one way of thinking it. Because details aren't available in that oral culture in the same way that they are in a written culture, um, you know, the, the little story where Jijingi tells the storyteller, you said it differently this year. Yeah. He's like, no, I didn't. He's like, yeah, you use these words. And we're on board with the, the storyteller there because you're like, you know, this is a, a, dif- a distinction without a difference, right? This is like, yeah. you, you're, you're missing the point. And I think Jijingi was missing the point. Like, it doesn't matter that he used the word yeah. in different order or slightly different words. He was saying the same thing. Right. I think that's what maybe Chang wants us to believe about uh, in in an oral culture where the details can't be the final answer to everything, they matter less. Or he wants us to see that in this case, where the stakes are like that, I, I mean, again, I think he wants us to see both. There's no reason yeah. to choose here. So here's, yeah, yeah, so here's one way of, of looking at these two stories. At the end of the journalist's story, his daughter, Nicole, beats him over the head with the precise yeah, and wins. And he's like, yeah, I'm a bad guy, I guess. At the end of the Jijingi story, the uh, Sabe wins the argument from the right. Yeah. And Jijingi acquiesces. Yeah. He, and both he wins cases, the story from the feeling. Yeah. And she wins the story from the fact. Yeah. In both cases, I think there's a good chance that they've both been unjustifiably convinced. So I think just to underscore this, also very close to the end of the story, the journalist now in full confessional, like beating up yourself mode says, this doesn't mean that I've changed my mind about the downsides of digital memory. There are many and people need to be aware of them. I just don't think I can argue the case with any sort of objectivity anymore. Mm -hmm. I abandoned the article I was planning to write about memory prosthesis. I handed off the research I'd done to a colleague and she wrote a fine piece about the pros and cons of the software, <laughs> a dispassionate article free from all the soul-searching and angst that I that would have saturated anything I submitted. Instead, I've written this. And I think one of the things you're supposed to ask yourself is, which is <laughs> a, a more accurate account of the right. pros and cons of of this technology, and I right. think there's no reason to think that the dispassionate article, free of all the soul searching and angst, is necessarily a better way of getting at that truth—the truth of what this technology will bring to us. Right? Is right? Is is it wise or not? A spec sheet can't tell you. And maybe, or or maybe you need both. Maybe yeah. It is yeah, the truth of fact, right. comma the truth of feeling. Like like that's you don't right. have to choose necessarily. Sometimes you do, but yeah. you don't always. Yeah. This is why you um, need art and science. Yeah. I I love the penultimate paragraph or the real aspect. As for my accounts, my argument with Nicole, I've tried to make it as accurate as I possibly could. I've been recording everything since I started working on this project and I've consulted the recordings repeatedly when writing this. But in my choice of which details to include and which to omit, perhaps I have just constructed another story. I think that's so true of the filter of the human mind. 
Yeah. There's no way in which the the facts mean anything until they're filtered through the meaning making machine of the of the narrative in this case. And then he says, "Have I distorted events so cl- so they more closely follow the arc expected of a confessional narrative?" And this is very sad. I think he says the only way you can judge is by comparing my account with against the recordings themselves and so i'm doing something i never thought i'd do i'm granting public access to my life log such as it is take a look at the video and decide for yourself and i think there's something deeply sad about that that he no longer trusts it's like his self is disintegrating not in the good way like with (laughs) meditation (laughs) but in a bad way where he no longer trusts any like like himself to have any character traits that that are accurate and so he's putting it out in public putting it out like some people do on social media where it's like the public should decide who who I am and what I what I'm about cuz I can no longer trust myself to to know that and you know i think that there is a real way in which it's tempting to say that the recording is objective and the narrative isn't. And obviously there's a clear way in which that's the case. He's given us a clear example yeah. of, of when that's the case. But it's misleading to think that uh, the objective record of behavior says anything about people's intentions, right? About uh, about their motives, about you know their feelings. All of that stuff is still completely uh, obscured. Um, or not completely, but to the extent that, you know, yeah. no, nobody's, you know, it's not like a shitty, a shitty movie where when people are angry, they go, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you know. we don't know all their other interactions. What yeah. could have led him to say such a hateful thing? What could have like, there's still so much that we don't know and so much that we couldn't know. Like, even if we like got, were granted public access to to as much there's just a limit to how much we could possibly see this is what so machine learning will finally tell us who has good character and who doesn't (laughs) yes i think this is what's like the ultimate twist of this story is it starts you on one side it it seems to end on the other side but there's enough yeah doubt i don't know my understanding of the story is it's like both things are true here both things are right i think you're right that's i think that's why the title is the title yeah um and it takes some wisdom to know which one to rely on. Yeah. All right. right. Um, I want to like take a, just a quick step back, a little meta, uh, a meta step, because one of the things that, that I love and why I've loved this discussion is in discussing this in detail, I am now at a different place than I was before we started recording. Yeah. Right? Which is I always the case when it's we discuss. It's always the case. Yeah. It's always the case. And the other day I was, I think, getting a little frustrated uh, in seeing some comments. I don't remember if it was Twitter or Reddit of people um, disagreeing with a particular interpretation of the uh, the ones who walk away from Omalas. And what I wanted to say is like, you know, when we're speaking for two hours about a short story, we're throwing out a whole bunch of potential ideas and playing with them. You can't take it verbatim and say like, oh, these guys argued this particular thing and they're completely wrong. Like, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm like, no, we said that as like a, on the way. Like, We're working our way towards what we think way. about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This, this is the work that that uh, is so satisfying 
the whole point of art is to play with these ideas and make us think. And even if Ted Chang didn't think some of the things that we were saying had anything to do with his original intention, I put money on that. He would be like, that's the point of the story. The yeah, point no, is to get like, you to fucking think about it. To raise questions, like yeah. not to give you answers that um, I, I, I let me go one extra meta level above yeah. you maybe when that person on reddit or twitter or whoever it was that is part of a new conversation that is working yeah. towards like an yeah. even deeper or different analysis of it like I, they don't I, often present it as if it's like that but, yeah you know you're right i think that that is in fact one of the things we were saying in our little thank you to the to the uh, listeners, which is new conversations get started. Yeah. And it's maybe I, I'm arrogant to think that this is just about them wanting to tell me I'm wrong and rather it's them wanting to talk about this. So many people, when they write to us, they say, I yell, I'm yelling at my telephone or I'm yelling at my yeah. headphones. And, uh, and so sometimes maybe you just need to yell on social media, but you know, <laughs> yell at each other. And, and, and sometimes we change our minds based on that yelling or you know usually when it's not written in a like totally dismissive or dickish kind of way (laughs) but um like you know sometimes that does move us in a different direction i think that's happened a lot so anyway this is all part of this theme it is a grand story it really is it's such a good story yeah it's it's amazing even better after after having discussing yeah all right well join us next time on Very Bad Wizards. Maybe we'll do more stories. Just a very bad wizard.